If you would take your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians chapter 3, going to begin at verse 7 and read to the end of the chapter. Second Corinthians 3, verse 7. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which is made glorious had no glory in this respect, by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. See then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that children of Israel could not steadfast look to the end that that which was abolished. But their minds were blinded, for unto this day remaineth the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. For even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it, that is the heart, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. For we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The title of the message this morning, A More Glorious Ministry to Us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. And I do pray, Father, that you help us to take heed, to give attendance to thy word this morning, knowing that we should not give an account for what we hear. Help us to have open, receptive hearts to come with open face, allowing the mirror of God's word to search and reveal our faults, our sins, our unbelief. And Father, we pray that you would help us to repent of those things and renew our devotion to the Lord. Father, we just pray that you have your will and way. May you be glorified. If any of our midst who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray that the Spirit of God would work and bring conviction and repentance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, sometimes if reading this passage, it can be a little confusing. And I'll point out several things that can be confusing. Uh, Because there's many in Christian circles, quote-unquote, today, that would say that we don't need the Old Testament. That it's of little or no value. It's just a historic record of children of Israel. In fact, I heard a fundamentalist preacher in my presence, and I taped his message, say that we don't need the Old Testament. Uh, They do not appreciate the law of God, for it is rigid, dogmatic, unloving, and unmerciful. That's how they view it. But therefore, because of that, they fail to understand the person of God. And His purpose in the law. 
his purpose in the law is to demonstrate our sin and our rebellion against him. And there's no other way to know that except by the law of God. And so, because they resent God's revelation of themselves as transgressors, they just reject God's law. Sort of like little children, you know, when you start playing hide-to-seek. You can't see me. So they reject God's law, but in doing so, they reject Him also. See, it's only when we come to terms with who we are and accept who we are before a holy and righteous God, which the law declares... Can we understand God's love, His mercy, His grace? For it is the ministry of law that brings us to Christ. Because Galatians 3.24 says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. By faith. That's why easy believism is so destructive. It ignores much of the law. Because you, know, you might ask yourself the question, if there isn't any law, why do I need to be saved? If there's no law, then I'm not a transgressor. There's nothing to transgress. So then I'm not a sinner. I'm not condemned. And Paul here in this passage three times uses the phrase, done away or abolished. You notice in verse 7, but if the ministration of death written and engraved in stones was glorious, so the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. Verse um, 11, For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is inglorious. And then in verse 13, And not as Moses would put a veil over his face, the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which was abolished. So, when he was talking about something that was done away with, he was not talking about the moral law, like the Ten Commandments. He was talking about the ceremonial law of the children of Israel and their way of approach to God. The sacrifices, the offerings that they brought. Those things were done away in Christ. If they were not, you and I would still bring in lambs. But they're done away. And so, as we consider this this morning and thinking about these things, these ministrations, there's two ministrations here he talks about, the ministration of death and condemnation. Then there's the ministration of the Lord and the Spirit. Administration is simply a ministry of service. So as we consider the ministration of death and condemnation, verses 7 and 8, but if the ministration of death written and engraved in stones was glorious so the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses, for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be gone away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be more glorious? So, so here we're talking about the, the ceremonial law, and of course in the moral law. The, these laws were spoken and written on two tables of stones. They were engraved. The moral law was engraved on these two tables of stones. It, it speaks of permanence, stability, something that does not change. You know, we often use the phrase, if something is subject to change, We'll say, well, it's not engraven in stone, or it's not written in stone. But the Ten Commandments were written in stone. Now, the ceremonial law was not written in stone. The moral law was. And it was truly the moral law is glorious. The law of God is glorious. 
I mean, it was given on the mount when the, the mount was was on fire and smoked and, and, and a trumpet sounded as a voice, trumpet as a voice sounded and God spoke out of the mount. And the people trembled. The mount quaked, the Bible tells us. And there is no moral standard that excels the law of God. In a world, in the world, it stands above any other system of moral principles. But it was not given just to be a moral standard. It establishes the holiness of God, His righteousness, and what is required to fellowship with Him. Again, without the law of God, we could not understand the person of God, His holiness, and therefore would never know the depths of His love. Because of the law, we understand that we are sinners and an enmity against God, and yet God so loved the world. He gave his life for his enemies, not his friends. So only as we understand the law of God can we really understand or comprehend the love of God. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, 17 that he didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. In Romans 3.31, the Apostle Paul says, "Then do, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. You see, when we come to God in repentance, what we're saying is the law is right. And I'm guilty. I'm guilty. And the law is right in condemning me, but we by faith put our trust in Jesus Christ who fulfilled the law on our behalf. See, we are justifying the law. We are saying the law is right. It's right. We're not doing away with it. We're saying it's right. And through Christ, we are meeting the righteous standard of the law. We then establish the law. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect. What's the next phrase? Converting the soul. Converting the soul. And that law, that moral law of God is eternal. It still condemns. It still still says, as Galatians 3.10 says, that cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. A person without Christ... Without Christ, one who will not admit that the law is right and repent and receive Christ as a Lord and Savior from sin, the one without Christ is still under the condemnation of the law. And so when Paul speaks of this administration of death, speaking of the law, but when he speaks of that which was done away, as far as the law is concerned, you and I can never meet the righteous standards of the law, and the ceremonial law, or the method by which the Old Testament uh, saints approached God, is now done away. This, this administration of death, the Old Testament law with its sacrifices, uh, was a system of continual death. Do you ever think about 
what went on in the temple every day in Old Testament Israel. I mean, there was constant, constant bloodshed every day. Every day in the life of Israel, there was bloodshed at the tabernacle or at the temple. They had to bring continual sacrifices for their sin because the sacrifices they brought could never take away sin. It only covered it. You see, it was only temporary. It was only meant to be temporary. It's not meant to be temporary. In the book of Hebrews, Paul said, in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 9, and then also in chapter 10, Hebrews 9, 9, the Bible says, which was a figure of the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the surface perfect as pertaining to the conscience. And then in chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things that can never with those sacrifices be offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers, once purged, should have a more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. And then if you drop down to verse 11, he says, And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. You see, those animal sacrifices that they brought that pictured Christ could never take away sins. It only covered it. It was only a temporary covering. And so they had to bring them continually, year after year after year. See, there was a continual death. There was constant death. They were constantly reminded of death every day. Something dying because of their sin. Aren't you glad we don't have to kill something every day for our sin? Sacrifice every day something for our sin. And you know, Paul wrote on to write in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 15. Speaking of that which was done away in Ephesians 2 and verse 15, he says, Having abolished in his flesh, that is Christ, the enmity, even the law contained, the law of commandments contained in ordinances. For to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. So the ordinances, it refers to the sacrificial system, the, 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 the required sacrifices and offerings that they were to bring continually, year by year, day by day, for their sins. And he says, now Christ has abolished in his, his flesh this, these ordinances. They're no longer needed. In Colossians, writing to the church at Colossae, in Colossians chapter 2, in verses, uh, verse 14 and following, he says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, there's that word ordinances again, that was against us, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them open, openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink in respect of a holy day over a new moon over the Sabbath day, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. See, all those things in the Old Testament sacrifices and the offerings and their keeping of certain days, they were shadows, types, pictures 
of the one who is to come and put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Not just cover it, but put it away. Put it away. And see, we have a much more glorious ministration. A ministration of righteousness. If you notice in verse 9, he calls it a ministration of the Spirit. Um, yeah, verse 9. For the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness, ministration of righteousness, uh, exceeding glory, uh, in, in, uh, uh, verse 10, for even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. And, and then in verse uh, uh, 12, for seeing then that you have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And so, you know, in verse 17, it says, now the Lord is that spirit where the spirit of the Lord is there liberty. So it's the ministration of righteousness or the ministration that he calls it the ministration of the spirit. It's really the ministration of the Lord Jesus Christ and the new birth. You know, it is much more glorious. And this, of course, was witnessed by the law and the prophets. Uh, in Revelation, or Romans 3, 21 and 22 tells us. And, and we have pictures of this in the Old Testament. For example, in Exodus chapter 12, the children of Israel were instructed to take a lamb without blemish, without spot, and to kill it. Put the blood on the, over the lentil and died in the side posts. And when he said, I see, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Isaiah 53 says, speaking of Christ, he was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before his ears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. First Corinthians 5, 7 says, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. John 1, 17, the Bible says, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. See, this ministration is a ministration of life found not in a sacrifice of an animal, but found in a person. And that person, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody has said, quote, man who is made in the image of God is restless till he rests in God. No human personality is self-contained. It is not complete in itself, unquote. You know, Colossians 2.10 says, and you are complete in him. Colossians 3.4 says, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. You see, this ministration is found in a person, and that life is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our life. You know, and this is a glorious, truly a glorious or amazing thing. Think about this. He who made all things. John 1.3, all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. He who made all things was made flesh to provide salvation for you and I. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He who made man was made in the likeness of man. He who made the law was made under the law. He who is the wisdom of God, the Bible tells us that this same one increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man, Luke 2.52. He of whom it is stated, Behold your God, subjected himself to Pilate's statement, Behold the man. 
And he before whom every knee shall bow, bowed his knees and washed his disciples' feet. He knew no sin, did no sin, was without sin. In whom is no sin, bear our sins in his own body on the tree. He who was, who who was the earth rejected one is now the heaven accepted one. And he who wore a crown of thorns is now crowned with glory and honor. He who was on the cross is now on the throne. And he who appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself now appears in the presence of God for us. For us. And he who came to die to fulfill the righteousness of the law on our behalf, he will come again to rule and reign in righteousness. See, this is a, this is, Paul said, this is a more glorious ministration. We can have, you know, we don't have to bring those sacrifices year after year after year. No. Our sacrifice is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And by him, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, Hebrews tells us in chapter 10. You see, this is a much more glorious ministration. It is also a ministration of liberty. If you notice in verses 12 through 18, I want to look at several things there. First of all, it is a ministry of, of liberty. Let me, let me read that. It says, seeing then you have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses put a veil over his face, the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for unto this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil was done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed in the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So as we consider this administration of liberty, I want to notice, first of all, there's a willful blindness that we see here. There's a willful blindness. In verses 12 and through 16, he talks about how Moses put a veil over his face when he would talk to the children of Israel, when he would go in to meet with God, he'd take the veil off. Take the veil off. And the reason for that was, the Jews were, Israel was afraid of him, afraid because his countenance, uh, spending time with the Lord, his countenance radiated, and they feared. And so he'd put a veil over his face. The implication here is the Jews had not accepted the purpose of the law. You know, the law condemns us before a holy and righteous God. It reveals the true state of God and man and the gulf that is between us and the cause of that gulf, which is our sin. Paul very clearly finds that for us in Romans chapter 7 and verses 9 through 12. 
Romans chapter 7, verses 9 through 12, where he says, For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, just, and good. Was that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that I might pierce sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might be exceeding sinful. You see, there's nothing wrong with the law. The law is holy, just, and good. But see, the law reveals you for who you are. It reveals us for who you are. You see, instead of accepting the purpose of the law and to bring them into relationship with themselves, they pride themselves in keeping the law through the ordinances and the sacrifices and rejected the fulfillment of those sacrifices. You see, what God intended as a shadow or a picture, they embraced as rituals of good works. Rituals of good works. And when the fulfillment of their shadows and pictures actually revealed himself, they said, basically, no thank you. We're satisfied with our rituals and good works. That's why when the temple veil was rent from top to bottom, when Jesus gave up the ghosts, that temple veil was rent from top to bottom, again, signifying the, the doing away with these sacrificial, this sacrificial system. That's why they tried to sew it back together. Because they wanted to continue on in their rituals. You see, they had gone about to establish their own way of approaching unto God and rejected God's way. Things don't change, do they? That's what people do today. You see, it wasn't a lack of intellect with Israel. Israel has given to the world some of the greatest minds. There is. In astronomy, we have Sir William Herschel. In history, we have Neander. In science, Albert Einstein. And the list could go on and on and on and on. You ought to look up sometime the uh, Nobel Prize winners from Israel, and the list is very long. They are very educated and intellectual people. It's not an intellectual problem. It's a heart problem. You see, there's, if you notice in verse 16, it says, Nevertheless, when it... Let's look at verse 15. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it, that is the heart, shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. So again, it's not like it's it's a heart problem. There has been an unwillingness to accept their true state and an unwillingness to repent. You know, Moses Moses challenged the children of Israel even when he was on earth with this same problem over and over again, and it continues to this day. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter twenty nine, Deuteronomy chapter twenty nine, I was reading this in my devotions this week, and I came across this, and I thought. You know, this is, this is, this is so typical of the nation of Israel, so typical of people in the world. 
And But even as they're preparing to enter the promised land, Moses in Deuteronomy 29 is challenging them, look, you need to make a covenant with the Lord to make the Lord your God. And you know, a, a person would think that after 40 years in the wilderness and all the signs and wonders that God had done, that'd be a no-brainer. But notice what he says. Deuteronomy 29, these are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make the children of Israel in the land of Moab beside the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. Moses called on Israel and said unto them, Ye have seen all the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt unto favor unto all his servants and unto all his land. The great temptations which thine eyes have seen, the signs and those great miracles. Yet the Lord hath not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear unto this day. I have led you forty years in the wilderness. Your clothes are not waxen old upon you. Thy shoe is not waxen old upon thy foot. You have not eaten bread, neither have you drunk wine or strong drink, that ye might know that I am the Lord your God. You know, again, think of all the children of Israel who had been through in their journey. You know, their, their, their clothes are not, didn't grow old. Their shoes didn't wear out. And I guess that just so happened because They were smart. Did you ever have a pair of shoes that you kept for 40 years? Now, I've kept some shoes pretty long, but never 40 years. If I wear my clothes, they wear out. And see, God's instructing them through Moses here to go and make a covenant, make an alliance, make an agreement, make an agreement. Make God your God. And lots like people today, they wanted to have God and have their own way too. But we can't do that. Even in the, come to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist said to the Pharisees, bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. See, the problem is people don't want to face themselves and repent. They don't want to repent. But the Spirit of God leads to repentance and liberty. If you notice in verse 17, it says, now, the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's liberty. Galatians 3.10, of course, says, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all points, written in the book of the law, to do them. But verse 13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. And then chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled with the yoke of bondage. You see, we can have liberty with Christ, and where we have a spirit-controlled life, there is liberty. There's not the letter of the law. There's not the condemnation. There's liberty. We progress from law to liberty in Christ. When there's where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's inspiration by an inner law. And that law, of course, is the law of Christ. In Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, 
Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And, and so we have this, this, this inner law of the Spirit, the inner life of the Spirit of God that transform life from within. It changes our desires. It changes our affections. It changes our convictions. It is motivated by love for the Lord, not by the letter of the law. I have to do this. I have to do this. No, I love the Lord. And it's empowered by the Holy Spirit and not the flesh. As we heard in Sunday School this morning, you know, Akani and Eli, Penina looked to the flesh. Hannah looked to the Lord. And so we have this ministration of liberty. It produces a glorious transformation in our life. But there is a requirement. Look at verse 18. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You see, Spirit of God, this ministration of the Spirit of God can bring about a glorious transformation in our lives, but the requirement is we have to come to the Word of God and look into it and examine ourselves honestly before it. We have to come with an open face. An open face. That means we have to come honestly desirous for God to show himself to us and show ourselves to ourselves. To reveal all my wrinkles, all my faults, all my sin. That's what an open face means. Beholding, gazing. See, too, too often we come to the Bible and we see something we don't like, so we shut it. And we go away from it. You know, people come here to church. And they, they seem excited at first, but then they hear something in the Word of God they don't like. So what do they do? They shut us out. They go away from it. That's not an open face. Again, that's like the ch- little child who, who when he plays hide and seek, puts his hands over his, his face and says, you can't see me. The problem is God still sees you. You cannot Photoshop this. You know, the story is told, don't know if it's true or not, but the story is told that for Queen Elizabeth, for the last 20 years of her life, refused to look into a mirror. It, the story is that the master of the royal mint incurred her displeasure because his engravers had faithfully reproduced her likeness, wrinkles and all, on a piece of money. The die was broken, and from that time on, no fragment of mirror was allowed in any room in the royal palace. You see, they engraved her as she really was. 
she didn't like it. Now, God says if we want to have liberty, if we want to see him transform our lives from glory to glory, and that means when God reveals something, we embrace it because then he'll reveal something else to us and our life will get more glorious. More like Christ. But if we want God to do that, we have to look into the mirror, we have to gaze upon His face, and we have to allow the Lord to change us. You see, if we honestly look into His, the mirror of His Word, He reveals to us His glory, and we will be changed in that image, we'll become more like Him. You know, it is a gradual and continuous process. And God works in us by His Holy Spirit. But it depends on us. Because we can shut it down anytime we so desire. You can shut God out. God's not going to force feed you. We have to have a willing heart. See, the problem with Israel is the veil is upon their heart. They have an unwilling heart to receive the truth. You know, the Pharisees said to Jesus on several occasions, tell us plainly. And he said, before Abraham I was. No, he said, before Abraham I am. To me, that's pretty plain. And they went to stone him. See, many don't like the Word of God because it condemns them. They like the idea of having eternal life. They like the idea of having favor and blessing of God. But they don't really want to look into the mirror of His Word and see themselves as really are. But if we want to have the blessing and favor of God, we have to receive the truth of the Word of God that reveals us as we really are. You know, Psalm 119, verse 58, one of the verses we read this morning said, I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. You know, are you entreating God's favor with your whole heart? Or are you saying, well, I want this, but I don't want that. You see, if we want the Lord to work in our lives, we want to have His peace that passes all understanding, we want to have the liberty of God to serve Him, to fellowship with Him, we have to seek Him with our whole heart. Are you seeking Him this morning?